Chapter Twenty of Dodo: A Detail of the Day by E. F. Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. If Dodo had felt some excusable pride in having torn up the Prince's photograph, her refusal to let him know where she was gave her a still more vivid sense of something approaching heroism. She did not blame anyone but herself for the position into which she had drifted during those weeks in Switzerland. She was quite conscious that she might have stopped any intimacy of this sort arising, and consequently the establishment of this power over her. But she felt she was regaining her lost position. Each sensible refusal to admit his influence over her was the sensible tearing asunder of the fibres which enveloped her. It was hard work, she admitted, but she was quite surprised to find how comfortable she was becoming. Jack really made a very satisfactory background to her thoughts. She was very fond of him, and she looked forward to their marriage with an eager expectancy, which was partly, however, the result of another fear. She was sitting in the drawing-room next day with Miss Grantham, talking about nothing particular very rapidly. "'Of course, one must be good to begin with,' she was saying. "'One takes that for granted. The idea of being wicked never comes into my reckoning, at all. I should do lots of things if I didn't care what I did, that I shouldn't think of doing at all now.' I've got an admirable conscience. It is quite good without being at all priggish. It isn't exactly what you might call in holy orders, but it's an ecclesiastical layman and has great sympathy with the church. A sort of lay reader, you know. I haven't got any conscience at all, said Miss Grantham. I believe I am fastidious in a way, though, which prevents me doing conspicuously beastly things. Oh, get a conscience, Granty said Dodo fervently. It is such a convenience. It's like having someone to make up your mind for you. I like making up other people's minds, but I cannot make up my own. However, my conscience does that for me. It isn't me a bit. I just give it a handful of questions which I want an answer upon, and it gives me them back, neatly docketed, with yes or no upon them. That's no use, said Miss Grantham. I know the obvious yeses and noes myself. What I don't know are the host of things that don't matter much in themselves, which you can't put down either right or wrong. Oh, I do all those, said Dodo serenely, if I want to, and if I don't, I have an excellent reason for not doing them, because I'm not sure whether they are right. When I set up my general advice office, which I shall do before I die, I shall make a special point of that for other people. I shall give decided answers in most cases, but I shall reserve a class of things indifferent, which are simply to be settled by inclination. "'What do you call indifferent things?' asked Miss Grantham, pursuing the Socratic method. "'Oh, whether you're to play lawn tennis on Sunday afternoon,' said Dodo, "'or wear mourning for second cousins, or sing alto in church for the sake of the choir, all that sort of thing.' "'Your conscience evidently hasn't taken orders,' remarked Miss Grantham. "'That's got nothing to do with my conscience,' said Dodo. My conscience doesn't touch those things at all. It only concerns itself with right and wrong. "'You're very moral this morning,' said Miss Grantham. "'Edith,' she went on, as Miss Staines entered in a howling wilderness of dogs, "'Dodo has discovered a conscience.' "'Whose?' asked Edith. "'Why, my own, of course,' said Dodo. "'But it's no discovery. I always knew I had one.' "'There's someone waiting to see you,' said Edith. I brought his card in. 
She handed Dodo a card. Prince Waldenek, she said quietly to herself. Let him come in here, Edith. You need not go away. Dodo got up and stood by the mantelpiece and displayed an elaborate attention to one of Edith's dogs. She was angry with herself for needing this minute of preparation, but she certainly used it to the best advantage, and when the prince entered, she greeted him with an entirely natural smile of welcome. "'Ah, this is charming,' she said, advancing to him. "'How clever of you to find out my address.' "'I am staying at the house down here,' said the prince, lying with conscious satisfaction as he could not be contradicted. "'And I could not resist the pleasure.' Dodo introduced him to Edith and Miss Grantham, and sat down again. "'I sent no address, as I really did not know where I might be going,' she said, following the prince's lead. "'That I was not in London was all my message meant. I did not know you would be down here.' "'Lord Chesterford is in England?' asked the prince. "'Oh, yes. Jack came with me as far as Dover, and then he left me for the superior attractions of partridge shooting. Wasn't it rude of him?' "'He deserves not to be forgiven,' said the prince. "'I think I shall send you to call him out for insulting me,' said Dodo lightly. "'And you can kill each other comfortably while I look on. Dear old Jack!' "'I should feel great pleasure in fighting Lord Chesterford if you told me to,' said the prince. "'Or if you told him to, I'm sure he would feel equal pleasure in killing me.' Dodo laughed. "'Dueling has quite gone out,' she said. I shan't require you ever to do anything of that kind. I am at your service, he said. I wish you'd open that window, then, said Dodo. It's dreadfully stuffy. Edith, you really have too many flowers in the room. Why do you say that dueling has gone out? he asked. You might as well say that devotion has gone out. No one fights duels now, said Dodo, except in France, and no one, even there, is ever hurt unless they catch cold in the morning air, like Mark Twain. "'Certainly no one goes out with a pistol-case, and a second, and a doctor,' said the prince. "'That was an absurd way of dueling. It's no satisfaction to know you're a better shot than your antagonist.' "'Still less to know that he is a better shot than you,' remarked Miss Grantham. "'Charming,' said the prince. "'That is worthy of Lady Chesterford. And higher praise.' "'Go on about dueling,' said Dodo, unceremoniously. "'The old system was no satisfaction, because the quarrel was not about who was the better shot. Dueling is now strictly decided by merit. Two men quarrel about a woman. They both make love to her. In other words, they both try to cut each other's throats, and one succeeds. It is far more sensible. Pistols are stupid, bull-headed weapons. Words are much finer.' They are exquisite sharp daggers. There is no unnecessary noise or smoke, and they are quite orderly. "'Are those the weapons you would fight Lord Chesterford with if Dodo told you to?' asked Edith, who was growing uneasy. The prince, as Dodo once said, never made a fool of himself. It was a position in which it was extremely easy for a stupid man to say something very awkward. Lady Grantham, with all her talent for asking inconvenient questions, could not have formed a more unpleasant one. He looked across at Dodo a moment, and said, without a perceptible pause, "'If I ever was the challenger of Lady Chesterford's husband, the receiver of the challenge 
has the right to choose the weapons. The words startled Dodo somehow. She looked up and met his eye. Your system is no better than the old one, she said. Words become the weapons instead of pistols, and the man who is most skilful with words has the same advantage as the good shot. You are not quarrelling about words, but about a woman. But words are the expression of what a man is, said the prince. You are pitting merit against merit. Dodo rose and began to laugh. Don't quarrel with Jack, then, she said. He would tell the footman to show you the door. You would have to fight the footman. Jack would not speak to you. Dodo felt strongly the necessity of putting an end to this conversation, which was effectually done by this somewhat uncourteous speech. The fencing had become rather too serious to please her, and she did not wish to be serious. But she felt oppressively conscious of this man's personality, and saw that he was stronger than she was herself. She decided to retreat, and made a desperate effort to be entirely flippant. "'I hope the princess has profited by the advice I gave her,' she said. "'I told her how to be happy, though married, and how not to be bored, though a Russian. But she's a very bad case.' "'She said to me dreamily as I left,' said the prince. "'You'll hear of my death on the Matterhorn. Tell Lady Chesterford it was her fault.' Dodo laughed. "'Poor dear thing,' she said. "'I really am sorry for her. It's a great pity she didn't marry a day-labourer and have to cook the dinner and slap the children. It would have been the making of her.' "'It would have been a different sort of making,' remarked the prince. "'I believe you can even get blasé of being bored,' said Miss Grantham. "'And then, of course, you don't get bored any longer, because you are bored with it.' This remarkable statement was instantly contradicted by Edith. "'Being bored is a bottomless pit,' she remarked. "'You never get to the end, and the deeper you go, the longer it takes to get out. I was never bored in my life. I like listening to what the dullest people say.' "'Oh, but it's when they don't say anything that they are so trying,' said Miss Grantham. "'I don't mind that a bit,' remarked Dodo. "'I simply think aloud to them.' The less a person says, the more I talk, and then suddenly I see that they're shocked at me, or that they don't understand. The prince is often shocked at me, only he's too polite to say so. I don't mean that you're a dull person, you know, but he always understands. You know, he's quite intelligent, Dodo went on, introducing him with a wave of her hand, like a showman with a performing animal. He knows several languages. He will talk on almost any subject you wish. He was thirty-five years of age last May, and he will be thirty-six next May. "'He has an admirable temper,' said the prince, "'and is devoted to his keeper.' "'Oh, I'm not your keeper,' said Dodo. "'I wouldn't accept the responsibility. "'I'm only reading extracts from the advertisements about you.' "'I was only reading extracts as well,' observed the prince. "'Surely the intelligent animal, who knows several languages, "'may read its own advertisement.' "'I'm not so sure about your temper,' said Dodo, reflectively. "'I shall alter it to, is believed to have an admirable temper.' "'Never shows fight,' said the prince. "'But is willing to fight if told to,' said she. "'He said so himself.' "'Oh, but I only bark when I bite,' said the prince, alluding to his modern system of duelling. "'Then your bite is as bad as your bark,' remarked Dodo, "'which is a sign of bad temper.' 
and now my dear prince if we talk any more about you you'll get intolerably conceited and that won't do at all i can't bear conceited men they always seem to me to be like people on stilts they are probably not taller than oneself really and they're out of all proportion all legs and no body or head i don't want anyone to bring themselves down to my level when they talk to me conceited people always do that they get off their stilts if there's one thing that amuses me more than another it is getting hold of their stilts and sawing them half through then when they get up again they come down bang and you say oh i hope you haven't hurt yourself i didn't know you went about on stilts they are very unsafe aren't they dodo was conscious of talking rather wildly and incoherently she felt like a swimmer being dragged down by a deep undercurrent all she could do was to make a splash on the surface she could not swim quietly or strongly out of its reach she stood by the window playing with the blind cord wishing that the prince would not look at her he had a sort of deep lazy strength about him that made dodo distrust herself the indolent consciousness of power that a tiger has when he plays contemptuously with his prey before hitting it with one deadly blow of that soft cushioned paw why can't i treat him like anyone else she said to herself impatiently surely i'm not afraid of him i'm only afraid of being afraid he is handsome and clever and charming and amiable and here am i watching every movement and listening to every word he says it's all nonsense here goes dodo plunged back into the room and sat down in the chair next him what a charming time we had at zermatt she said that sort of place is so nice if you simply go there in order to amuse yourself without the bore of entertaining people half the people who go there treat it as their great social effort of the year as if one didn't make enough social efforts at home ah zermatt said the prince meditatively it was the most delightful month i ever spent did you like it said dodo negligently i should have thought that sort of place would have bored you there was nothing to do i expected you would rush off as soon as you got there and go to shoot or something like lord chesterford and the partridges suggested edith oh that's different said dodo jack thinks it's the duty of every english landlord to shoot partridges he's got great ideas of his duty even when it interferes with what must have been his pleasure apparently said the prince oh jack and i will see plenty of each other in course of time i'm not afraid he will go and play about without me you are too merciful said the prince oh i shan't be hard on jack i shall make every allowance for his shortcomings and i shall expect that he will make allowance for mine he will have the best of the bargain said the prince you mean that he won't have to make much allowance for me asked dodo my dear prince that shows how little you really know about me i can be abominable ask miss staines if i can't i can make a man angry quicker than any woman i know i could make you angry in a minute and a quarter but i'm amiable this morning and i will spare you please make me angry said the prince dodo laughed and held out her hand to him then you will excuse my leaving you she said i've got a letter to write before the midday post that ought to make you angry are you stopping to lunch no au revoir then we shall meet again sometime soon i suppose one is always running up against people dodo shook hands with elaborate carelessness and went towards the door which the prince opened for her 
"'You have made me angry,' he murmured as she passed out. "'But you will pacify me again, I know.' Dodo went upstairs into her bedroom. She was half frightened at her own resolution, and the effort of appearing quite unconcerned had given her a queer, tired feeling. She heard a door shut in the drawing-room below, and steps in the hall. A faint flush came over her face, and she got up quickly from her chair and ran downstairs. The prince was in the hall, and he did not look the least surprised to see Dodo again. "'Ah, you're just off?' she asked. Then she stopped dead, and he waited, as if expecting more. Dodo's eyes wandered round the walls and came back to his face again. "'Come and see me in London any time,' she said in a low voice. I shall go back at the end of the week. The prince bowed. I knew you would pacify me again, he said. End of chapter 20